Welcome to the Highlight Basketball Podcast. My name is Dolos, and I am the host of this show. It's been a it's been a while. It's been a pretty long time since the last episode. Um, it was pretty much around the end of the postseason when I last recorded for this show. Um, so I wanted to get back in the swing of things with the preseason starting this week. As many of you know, uh, at the time of recording this, NBA Media Day was today. And so there were so many eventful things going on, so many teasers for this upcoming season that it built up so much excitement. I, I just had to record um, and get back into the swing of things. These episodes will be coming out a lot more regularly. Um, so make sure that you're subscribed to the Off the Ball Network uh, channel, to the feed, so that way you can be tuned in to the show, get notifications for it when it's coming out. Make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube, where I'm going to be putting up uh, kind of snippets of like the later half of the episodes, uh, more than likely. You also get them on a visual form there as well. So make sure to go support on both of those platforms, as this show is going to be a lot more consistent coming this this uh, upcoming season. But Media Day, oh man, NBA Media Day. For, for many fans, this is like peak time of excitement for the NBA season because it's really building hype. There's none of like the real pessimistic outlook things. Everyone's everyone's optimistic on media day. Everyone's going to have a career high shooting gear. Everyone's committed to playing defense this year. No, no. Well, I guess for a few, a few, <laughs> a few teams, we're still having some kind of rotation issues that they're sorting out. But in this episode, I, I really only want to focus on three teams. From, from media day only three um I think these are the three teams that probably had the most eventful off seasons uh eventful <clears throat> media day in general um and those three teams are the Phoenix Suns for obvious reasons the Boston Celtics for obvious reasons and the Los Angeles Lakers for some obvious reasons but I want to start with the Lakers on this because for one they're my favorite team. Um, and because it's their their issue is kind of the easiest to discuss um, because it's it's more so basketball than than anything else. With these other two teams, there are some off the court things that need to be talked about. But with the Los Angeles Lakers, the looming question coming into this media day, um, all eyes were going to be essentially on Russell Westbrook. We saw it pretty much every question asked, whether the question was to Rob Plinka, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, uh, Darvin Ham, no matter who's getting asked the question. Russell Westbrook came up um, and understandably he is still somewhat of the black sheep of this Lakers squad. Um, not very popular amongst Lakers fans. And so for that reason, he, man, th this has been kind of a weird, weird season because on one hand, I'm a huge West Russell Westbrook fan. He is my second all time favorite player. On the other hand, I am a Lakers fan. I, I gotta admit that like, but I did become a Lakers fan like a bit later. I literally became a Lakers fan because they drafted Lonzo, and then uh, eventually they were ended. They ended up signing LeBron James, who is my number one favorite player of all time. So I did have a lot of excitement for Russell Westbrook on the Lakers when it initially happened, even despite the fit concerns. Um, and I still share some of those concerns. I did not think that was a perfect uh, pairing by any means, even at the time. Um, but there were at least positives that I think you could like reasonably view of like how these guys could help each other on the court, even if the rest of the roster wasn't perfect. And I think if you're going to make that move, the Lakers botched just about everything else during that offseason that they made the, the the Westbrook trade. So I don't think there was ever like a perfect context that we got to evaluate Russell Westbrook on the Lakers. He 
was only able to play about 21 games with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Also, the fact that those games were were never really like in a row. They were always like oh, a game or two here, a game or two there. Um, that's not an ideal way for your season to go. Regardless, the team won 33, 33 uh, games. They only had 33 wins. So this is this was not a core I was committed to, not a core that any Lakers fan was essentially committed to. We want we pretty much all wanted it scrapped except for LeBron and AD and try and rebuild this thing out with some with competent role players that could play some defense and provide some shooting. The issue with this Lakers team for a year since they have acquired LeBron James was the was the con- concern we've all had is hey, how do we get enough shooting on this roster? Because you can literally think back. To 2019, when LeBron James signed here, that was the same offseason that they brought in Michael Beasley. They brought in Lance Stevenson. I think Rondo came in for the first time, JaVale McGee. There was no single free agent acquisition that was a shooter. Uh, Lakers fans will tell you that that team was was better than the final record turned out. But, you know, injuries to LeBron James, to Lonzo Ball, to Brandon Ingram um, disrailed that season. Fine, whatever. They didn't really have title aspirations. 2020. They land Anthony Davis. And I think Rob Polinka was applauded for, for doing as good of a job that, as you can do um, last second into free agency when you got two max slots taking up everything and really only got minimum offers. He was able to go out and snag Danny Green, uh, keep JaVale McGee, bring in Dwight Howard, who was extremely productive in 2020. But at the same time, the constant complaint during that season was there was not enough shooting on the team. All all Lakers fans, you know, even the ones like myself who believed in the title aspirations of that 2020 squad had concerns about the half court offense because of spacing, because of three point shooting, Um, ultimately going to the bubble and those shooting concerns disappear. Now, I still think the Lakers were a title level team, but I can't deny that they benefited from, you know, a, a shooting increase from being in the bubble. Maybe, you know, I, I don't even want to uh, go into this whole bubble asterisk thing, but they won the title uh, in 2020. Um, and the concern was still, hey, how do we get more shooting onto this roster? Into 2021, that's the year they bring in Dennis Schroeder, add Marcus Gasol, Trez comes in. And overall, pretty much any everyone was saying that that team was an upgrade from the Lakers title team. And so when they lose in the first round, I think it put a really bad taste in everyone's mouth, obviously, especially Lakers fans, to lose in the first round, to have been, what was it, the seventh seed, having fought in through the play-in tournament and then get eliminated by the Phoenix Suns. But at the same time, like especially after that series finished, there was probably not a Lakers fan on earth who thought we would have lost that series had we been healthy. I know Suns fans will still dispute that, not to say that y'all weren't a good team, a quality level team that deserved that series win, but go ahead and look at the at Suns fans' tweets and social media after, uh, what was it, game game three? Or like during game four, before Anthony Davis went down. Look, like, look at the tweets and what they're saying then, and, and then afterwards, what, what, what they're talking like. So Anthony Davis going down, obviously, had a huge impact in that series. Pretty much no Lakers fan believes that the Lakers would have lost had he been healthy. Fine, that's 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 cool, whatever. But going into the offseason, I think to dismantle so much of that roster, to bring in a, a guard with a high usage that does not shoot. It was, fr- it was frustrating for, for a lot of Lakers fans. And so when the fit came out to, to bear out what we 
you know, somewhat expected to happen. Like, I don't think anyone expected it to be as bad as it was last season. And of course, injuries played such a huge part in it. The fact that the role players there were also bad, like some of that could have been mitigated with health, with good role players, but I don't think they would have been a good team. So coming into the season, we were obviously looking for some kind of move to, to get Westbrook somewhere else. Um, there was some hopium that had us thinking Kyrie was going to land on the Lakers roster. And then on top of that, um, well, after that, there is the Buddy Heald, Miles Turner trade stuff that, that's been circling around for what feels like forever now. I would have done that Miles, Miles Turner deal. Give up the two two picks. I know it hurts. It's a discussion for a different time. But, man, that gives you guys who really complement your two best players. But ultimately, uh, the, the Lakers front office decided that they didn't feel like giving up those two picks. Um, to make an upgrade or to move Russ. Understandable. You don't want to give up those picks in, in what you feel is a bad deal. They obviously think the Miles Turner, Buddy Hield is not a big enough return. A lot of Lakers fans disagree. We'll see how things bear out. But man, so many of the Lakers questions this media day centered around Russell Westbrook. And on one hand, like I really do understand he's the piece of this roster that really does not make much sense on the roster. He's a $47 million expiring contract. You are like a zero chance of re-signing him. Like you're not looking to extend him right now. You're probably not looking to re-sign him at the end of the year. And so like by the trade deadline, even if he is playing well, I see a world where he's likely moved at the deadline, regardless of if he is fitting in so much better this upcoming season. Um. And we just prefer that it would have happened before the season started to get as much of a time with like whatever the new team is going to be like, let them get the training camp together, let them play out the first 50 or so games rather than than having the year start with Russell Westbrook. But man, the level of like personal hate that it's it's now like because th this is strayed from regular basketball discourse. I, I can understand not liking Russell Westbrook's fit on that team, being frustrated with his play at times last season. Uh, but man, I think a lot of the criticism of him has ventured to a real personal level. Um, and even from like some of the media, I'm, I was kind of disappointed with some of the questions getting asked. Like, I understand Lakers fans have been very, very blatant and upfront about how, how they feel about him. I excuse that a bit more coming from fans who have like emotional, not to say I excuse, excuse maybe is the wrong word, but I can at least understand the, um, the feelings from fans about being upset about a player that they don't like or that they don't feel is a positive being on their team and being on their team in a prominent role on, on some level. I get that. But for like a media person to be asking Russ, like, Oh, you know, is the team bought in on you? And, and how do you, like that, that felt weird. Like this, obviously like what kind of answer did you expect from him at that point? Like he's, whether he's liked in the, in the, uh, by the front office, whether he's liked by the fans, whether he's liked by his teammates, he's still signed to the Los Angeles Lakers and he's going to go out there um, and he's going to play. So I was to, to pivot back to some basketball stuff. I was delighted to see that, you know, not only is Russ a bit more open, but the coaching staff was speaking like Darvin Ham was speaking more openly about having Russ in a bench role, which I think makes sense just for the, the fit concerns. So, I was really happy to see that because I think we've all talked about the the guard 
jam that the Lakers have right now. Schroeder, Russell Westbrook, uh, Patrick Beverly's there. Austin Reeves is there. And these are like just a, a lot of backcourt. Kendrick Nunn, who I even forgot. So like that's like like five backcourt players. There's not a lot of size on this team. A similar issue is, is last year. And I think you can mitigate some of that by putting Russell Westbrook on the bench, letting him lead bench units, um, hopefully having some more spaced bench units, some Thomas Bryant in there. Uh, we don't really have, we don't really have shooters, so I don't I don't know, but I I think I think that's the way to go, and I at least I didn't want them to close that path off just because he's Russell Westbrook, the former MVP, and so he needs to start. So the fact that Darvin Ham has kind of indicated, yeah, it's actually going to be a kind of a fight for these starting positions in training camp. Um, that does that definitively mean Russ is starting or Russ is coming off the bench? Who knows? We don't have any concrete answers on that quite yet, which is fine. Training camp will come. Preseason is, is going to uh, slowly start this week and we'll get those answers. But I was happy to see that there's at least an open openness, um, that there's at least some consideration to doing what, what could end up being the best thing for this Lakers team, uh, potentially having Russell Westbrook come off of the bench. That makes sense. Um, I think just to to try and decouple the LeBron Russ minutes as much as possible to to not have like that negative spacer on the court because you know as much as I love him, that's what he is. He's a negative spacer. Guys sag off of him. That's the same thing for LeBron. Not to obviously the degree it is for Russ, and it, it maybe to the same degree for Anthony Davis at this point in his career, especially after a career low. What was it? 19% from three last season. Nobody is guarding Anthony Davis from the perimeter anymore. He can be out there and pump fake all he wants. He's getting space. And so to have three guys in your starting lineup that defenses are comfortable guarding with, uh, that defenses are comfortable guarding that way, just gives me a ton of concerns for the ceiling for this offense. And so moving Russ to the bench, like it's not like you're going to go and replace him with a plus three point shooter. There aren't, like even from the guard spot, there aren't really that those guys available on the team. Like even Patrick Beverly, let's say just sub Pat in for for Russ in the starting lineup. Pat's a better shooter, sure. I don't think his his volume or even his percentage is enough to really dramatically adjust how defenses will play us. But I think it changes it enough that I prefer to just have Russ come off the bench and their minutes will be around the same ish. Um, so that's where I'm at, I'm at on that. I really wish um, some of the other Lakers fans and Lakers people can tone it down on the hate for Russ, like us, especially as we approach the beginning of the season. Let's try and be a bit more positive. Let's try and be a bit more optimistic. Like even if you're not optimistic about the fit, let's let's at least try and be more optimistic about it fitting better and, you know, having some momentum at the gate. Uh, just just my two cents on the whole Lakers situation. I think I've already rambled enough on them, uh, but they're my favorite team, so I was going to go a little long on them. Pivoting over to the other uh, two teams I want to talk about uh, and going on to the Phoenix Suns, because the Phoenix Suns, they had a, a serious issue come out with, these, with the whole Robert Sarver story that dropped a year ago. Now, with that Robert Sarver story, when it initially dropped from ESPN last season, I was I was real shocked. Like I, I expected more of the backlash we're seeing now, now that uh Robert Sarver has been suspended. I was kind of expecting that when the story dropped, but the Suns were able to really just put that to the side and play out a whole season. Um, to the point that I think a lot of people 
really forgot about the whole Sarver investigation by the time the report was kind of getting announced. It definitely wasn't something heavily on my mind. Um, like even in discussions of the Suns this offseason, we've heard a lot more talk about DeAndre Ayton and his contract situation than we've had talk about Sarver's investigation. So when that got announced, that was obviously a huge bombshell, especially to be dropping so close to media day, especially to be dropping so close to the start of the season. But I think it is a net positive that it seems that Robert Sarver is going to be transitioning out of the NBA. Uh, I've seen some people really upset at this result for the fact that Robert Sarver is going to be getting paid to leave. But I, I've really been trying to point out to people that there was no scenario. There was there was nothing that was going to happen reasonably that was going to result in Robert Sarver being broke or losing money or, you know, even not making money on this. Because ultimately, whether you wanted to remove him via a vote, that was probably going to end up in court somehow. Because even even Sterling, who lost his team, ended up trying to countersue the NBA um, a bit of logistics because of how his team was sold from under him from his wife. But at the same time, I think Robert Sarver was obviously probably going to try and get back at the NBA if they tried to just outright take his team. So I think things going the way that they have has probably been a bit best case scenario. I, I, Adam Silver's decision to suspend him for only a year was still still weak. Um, he had the power to suspend him for longer than a year. He made that clear at his at, um, when he answered questions about this. He could have he could have made it a ten year suspension, a five year suspension, a lifelong suspension, whatever the case was. So one year was was way too light. But the fact that Sarver is now going to be selling and transitioning out of the league that's a net positive for everybody. So I want to get that out. Um, you know, thoughts and prayers and. and you know, obviously with everyone who was afflicted by that toxic work environment in Phoenix. Um, and I'm happy that they're going to hopefully be transitioning into, you know, much, much better uh, kind of superiors there and, and um, people in charge there in Phoenix, at least on the ownership level. Um, the other, you know, looming headline for Phoenix, DeAndre Aiden. And man, that, that media day was kind of weird. Like I watched his entire interview and I don't really like to do the psychoanalysis for, for sports in general, for people in general, because, uh, you know, just trying to read into somebody's feelings or thoughts based off of, of, of a brief interaction it ends up missing so many, it misses more times than not. So, you know, I don't feel like I have a good grasp on what DeAndre Aiden is thinking or feeling just based off of this interview from Media Day. But at the same time, like, this is the only evidence we have. We're going to try and read into it a bit as fans. And when I watched that interview, that looked like a guy who was disengaged. Um, I mean, just out the gate. They ask him his first questions about Sarver. He, you know, gives the routine answer. Um, and then the follow-up to that was just a question about his whole contract situation and the way it went. And if you listen to it, if you've seen it, watch it, go definitely go check it out. It's such a weird exchange because, you know, he just gives a short answer. He's so dry the entire time. Um, I, I even saw some Phoenix people like beat writers and stuff uh, tweeting and, and posting about how kind of how they felt about it. Like that they even thought that this was weird, how um how dry and, and um, like emotionless almost DeAndre Aiden was. 
Um, I did see some pushback to that from other Phoenix beat reporters. So like I said, I don't want to psychoanalyze. I'm I'm not here to say that DeAndre Ayton is checked out on the Suns or anything like that. But this is something that we, we should be monitoring for sure, because for everything to have been as public with the, uh, you know, the trade negotiations and how unhappy Aiden was and then having his deal matched by Phoenix, like, regardless of how they want to spin it, I think that was an awkward situation. Not to say that's not something that they can come back from, but we still got to watch it happen because I don't think they're back from it yet. Like, you know, Jay Crowder has requested a trade. He wants out. DeAndre Aiden you know, maybe feeling, you know, a little bit distant from the rest of his teammates, from the rest of the organization. And that's not the way this franchise should want to start this season. Um, Because when it comes to the Suns, there seem to be two different, uh, you know, schools of thought right now that they're a paper tiger and Dallas hit them in the mouth. And, you know, we shouldn't really be concerned about them anymore, which I think is kind of the wrong way to view it. Like, I never really saw Phoenix as seriously as some other people saw them. Like, you know, they were in the finals the other year. Uh, You know, a lot of that was help. They were still a fantastic team. There is a chance that they could have made that run regardless. But when you beat the Lakers without a a fully healthy Anthony Davis for the series, what's the next series? I think they they beat the Nuggets um, with, with, I think they just had Jokic for that series. Um, and then the Clippers, you beat the Clippers and, you know, I think Kawhi went down in that series. So that was their path to the finals and all credit to them for making it to the finals still. But I think that kind of like blinded to a degree, some people about like how good they actually were. And then they did come out guns blazing last season as well. What was it? 64 wins or something, a franchise record. This is statistically the best Phoenix Suns team of all time. But I all already thought that they were like contender tier, maybe like a step below. So that record didn't do that much to convince me. And I think even when you peel back the layer on that 64 wins, they were a phenomenal clutch team. Last year's Phoenix Suns team, if they were in a close game, they were winning it. And so I think that that can sometimes skew our, our perception of teams like, you know, for 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 one, like, cool. It's fantastic that you're a clutch team. Like, that shows that your offense can get it going in the playoffs, I feel like. Positive indicator. But at the same time, like, 64 wins and, like, you are getting so much of this progress in the clutch. Like, these are moments that can go the other way. And in that Maverick series, they did go the other way. So, I don't know. Like, that fourth quarter stuff with, with Phoenix – I, I kind of had had some uh, some question marks. And then, you know, I, I didn't think that they were frauds. I thought Utah was frauds. I didn't think Phoenix were frauds. So that's kind of my distinction. But at, this, at the same time, I wasn't necessarily a believer in them. Um, and so to kind of like see them, I didn't expect them to get slapped out of the playoffs the way they did by Dallas. Because, um, I mean, you don't expect anyone to get slapped out of the playoffs like that. But at the same time, I think to to go off of, you know, the your last reaction to the Suns is going to be a mistake. They're still going to be a good team this upcoming season. Um, I guess somewhat dependent on whatever, however their chemistry ends up boiling out, whether positive or negative. Like, I'm not going to make any assumptions for which way I think it's going to go. But 
you know, Phoenix is a team that you should still factor into your uh, Western Conference playoffs. Um, I don't know if they can have a deep run, but they can definitely win a first round series. So the Phoenix Suns are a team that we should continue to talk about. I think we should definitely continue to monitor DeAndre Ayton's situation with the team, his happiness level in Phoenix, um, because I think that's going to be relevant. He's on a five-year contract, and I don't see him finishing out that five years. I'm just going to go ahead and and put myself out on that limb now. Whether they end up trading him this year or some other year, I don't think DeAndre Ayton finishes out this contract in Phoenix, so I'll put it that way. Um, and Chris Paul is aging. So this team does have some things that they need to figure out. Jake Crowder, trade request. Um, something I, I saw from Brian Windhorst at ESPN today was uh, Jay Crowder's trade request was somewhat uh, spurned on by the fact that Cam Johnson may be starting over him. So that's another guy they need to extend. So we'll, we'll see. We'll really see what happens with Phoenix because they've got some question marks and I'm I'm interested to see how, how those get answered. Um, and we'll also continue to watch kind of this, well, somewhat watch this sale of the team. Who are the um, ownership groups that Robert Sarver's meeting with or talking to that are potentially going to be buying the Suns? I'll be interested to see if we get any reports on that um, and who this potential new owner group ownership group will be. Lastly, the final team uh, that I want to talk about in this video, or well, <laughs> in this podcast, I'm very used to doing YouTube videos if you haven't noticed. But in this podcast episode, the last thing I want to talk about is the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, I, I first obviously need to talk about the elephant in the room, the non-basketball issue with the Boston Celtics right now. The suspension of head coach Ime Udoka for violations, plural, as the Celtics let us know, violations of team policy um, in regards to inter-organization relationships. It was um, surprising to get the news. Um, you know, just Waj and Shams tweeting out, Ime Udoka could be suspended for a year. That caused the internet to go into speculation mode. Um, and I'm glad the Celtics organization stood up for all of the women on their staff uh, for the embarrassing and just toxic and childish behavior that happened on social media with um Celtics uh staffers uh all the women on the staff kind of just being dragged on on social media as potentially this other person in the uh in a Udoka affair I think it's it's so crazy that the Celtics players seem to have like no real information no real background about this personally that's been really hinting to me that uh Ime Udoka or someone within his camp was part of what or uh, part of the sides that leaked this information to Wadge or Shams or whoever. But yikes, this is not an ideal start for the Celtics for their season um, as a team that just made the finals. This is not what you want to happen. I mean, the head coach that led you there, um, kind of important. <laughs> you you kind of want to keep that guy around. Um, and so like, I do feel for Celtics fans on this simply because of the whole situation with Ime, um, of what this is can do or has done to the culture and the organization, um, things like that. We've already gotten some 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 disappointing quotes, um, you know, or Celtics players reacting and then kind of just kind of their disappointment about it. Um, there is the the new interim head coach who's going to be stepping in, Joe M. 
Uh, I haven't quite learned his last name yet, so give me give me a uh, give me a week. I'll get there next week. But Joe M, who's going to be taking over for the Celtics, um, ha- he hasn't even really been an assistant in the league before. Like he's been with the Celtics for three years now. But other than that, before this, he was a college coach. So not not a real track record that we can lean on and say, hey, like he has an experience running this. Um, I assume he's going to be trying to use a lot of Ime's plays and and his um ideology for the Celtics. But I just it's it's a disappointing situation overall. Um that that's just like the strongest word for it. Just disappointment in uh you know Ime Udoka and his actions, um, the alleged violations of of team policy. Um whatever the the specifics and the details of that were that's that's not something you want to hear about going on in the nba it's it's sad to read it's sad to hear about um and it may end up with with uh udoka not even being there at the end of this year like they they've made it clear that just because he's been suspended this year does not guarantee that he's going to be back which is such an interesting situation for the players now because there's all of this uncertainty. One moment you were in the finals with, you know, thoughts and ideas of of being there perpetually. And, you know, your best two players are still in their early 20s and there's so much room ahead for growth. And now, like, a lot of that is still true. But without the head coach that led you there, like, it does make the and, and Celtics fans know the importance of coaching. Before Ime Udoka, they had Brad Stevens there. They know the importance of having a voice in that locker room that not only like has the basketball IQ to run the, the right kind of plays, to to tighten up the rotation in the right kind of ways, but they know the importance of having a guy in their specific locker room that can talk to the guys that the guys like um, and that the guys will listen to because that was something I noticed with Ime Udoka. The, the guys... Like the players on that team, they listened to Ime Udoka. Like he had their ear. Um, and there was a lot of early criticism like about his players to start the year. And it took like they eventually started playing better. So to not have that guy in the room anymore is going to call into some questions. You know, who's going to step up? Who on the coaching staff? Do they need to bring in an outside consultant? There's just like, like I said, uncertainty waiting for the Celtics. Um, a few things that we do know for certain that their best players are incredibly young and incredibly gifted. But on top of the coaching fiasco, they lost Danilo Gallinari, which is like minor blip, like like relevant. This this low key could be the end of uh, end of uh, Gallo's career uh, in the NBA with with this injury. Assume he's probably out for a year, maybe doesn't get resigned. So like really hoping a, a recovery on that end. Extremely sad from that perspective as well. Um, but just to kind of lose a depth piece there. And then on top of the fact that we recently learned Robert Williams injury was, um, you know, a bit, I think a bit more severe than initially reported. I think they had a like a shorter timeline when they uh, first revealed that uh, Robert Williams had some leg injury over the offseason. And this past media day or the day before they announced that the timeline was was going to be longer than first reported. So also not something you want to hear. So. Coming off of a finals appearance, you then lose your coach. You lose one of the one of the bench depth pieces that you added in the offseason. And then you lose one of your most important big men and, you know, one of your best defenders on the team. 
that can make it hard to to start the way you need to start. This was a team that started slow last year. Um, it ended up not mattering in the grand scheme of their season. But this is a different year. The Eastern Conference is tougher. A slow start affects where you finish. You know, where you finish affects who you play in the playoffs. Who you play in the playoffs, that matchup dependency, like playoffs are so matchup dependent, like you want to have the right spot because, you know, being a good team is important. Also, being in the right matchups at the right time is important. So not to say I'm necessarily wishing the best for the Celtics because I've already let you know I'm a Lakers fan, so I'm not wishing the best for the Celtics, obviously. But this level of uncertainty and chaos and you know, at least the non-basketball stuff, don't like to see it happen to any organization, even if they are your rival. Um, those were the three kind of most relevant teams around media day for me. Um, those were, you know, my thoughts on them, like what I thought was going on with these organizations. It's a lot, you know, especially with the with the Celtics and the Suns, just having non-basketball related issues that, that their fans, that their organizations now have to kind of deal with throughout this season. I'm sure more questions will come up in regards to both Robert Sarver and the uh, Ime Udoka issue for these teams throughout this season. So, you know, we'll obviously be keeping an eye on that in this show. But those, these are teams that are like fighting, fighting against something, fighting to stay together. And, you know, I wanted to highlight them now, you know, well, everyone's highlighting them, but I wanted to highlight these teams, especially in this episode, because, you know, we'll be able to come back like later during the season and kind of see and check in on on how all of these things have have manifested. Uh, Did Robert Williams injury uh, at the start of the year lead to the Celtics having a slow start? Um, You know, obviously, how did how did the new coach perform for them? We're going to be able to get some feedback on that. Um, and if if they may be able to stick with this guy instead of pivoting back to Ime Udoka, like how well has he been able to capture the locker room? Uh, Brad Stevens has already shot down the idea that if the season is not going well, he'll be coming down to coach again, um, which like I kind of thought about uh, when I heard the Udoka suspension, like, hey, maybe they get Brad back in there. But it doesn't seem like that's something he wants to do. I think if it goes really, really bad, maybe he would. But, yeah, I I bet against it for now. Um, we'll get to see just kind of the the chain reaction to things. You take the, the coach who got you to the finals out the room. What's the responses from guys? Well, you know, how, how does chemistry break down? Um and with Phoenix, man, we've already seen chemistry start to really break down with this organization. How does this Robert Sarver potential sale factor into that? Um, does it make it a little easier for the guys to kind of like focus on their on their task ahead? Like, hey, we're getting a new ownership group in here. Let's try and get things started strong, a new era of Phoenix basketball. Or, you know, is it maybe a more tumultuous time period with Chris Paul regressing and Jay Crowder being traded and his absence being felt um, because he's an impactful player? Is DeAndre Ayton pouting pouting and and not really uh, trying to to fully commit and fully be in on everything that Monty Williams is coaching this this uh, team to do? We'll see the answer to all of those questions. On the Lakers front, I've already made it plainly clear my questions for that organization 33 one team very low bar to approve right 
it's one thing to just say, hey, they're a better team than they were last year. Last year was a 33-1 team. That you're not moving me by saying, hey, you're better, you're better than the 33 team that you 33-1 team that you were a season ago. Like, no, like no Lakers fan reasonably cares about that. Even even if that leap is enough, like, hey, we're a playoff level team. Lakers fans want to be in contention for titles. Just telling me, hey, like, I think we're a good enough team to make the playoffs does not move me. It's not bringing any excitement to me at all to just, hey, show up. We, we want to win something there. So not a lot of uh, stuff in the cupboard to get us to that point. But, hey, when you have LeBron James, when you have Anthony Davis, that's a stronger foundation than most teams. So we're going to see how things play out for that squad as well. Um, I wanted this one to be a bit of a shorter, shorter episode today, just as I was getting in the swing of things uh, for a full return uh, to podcasting lifestyle. Like I mentioned, these episodes will be coming out weekly. I'll be trying to I'll try to have this be a weekly thing. So make sure that you're supporting um, not only on you know whatever podcast uh, stream that you're listening to. Make sure you subscribe to our uh, to the network, the Off the Ball Network. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you subscribe on on YouTube as well, so that way you can get the show visually, you can get the show audio, whatever is your your uh, whatever is your thing, man. So I appreciate you listening. Um, make sure to support, and we'll see you in the next one.